in the tail one. Ten sixteen, thirty waiting. I was trying to raise ten one, starting to spot. Go ahead, Jerry. You go to see four right quick. Ten. Zero seven five. Just get ready to call you zero seven five. Your number is six ten nine nine five nine nine five. Come forward. Friday, March 16th, 2018. Something really weird is going on, and I don't know what to do. I've created this Reddit account to document my story. I doubt anyone can really help, but God forbid something happens to me. I at least want a record of what went down. There's no gentle way to open this up, so let's just dive on in. My name is Nikki. I'm 23 and engaged to a wonderful man named Mark. We live together in a small apartment on the top floor of an old house in a small town in mid-Illinois. Overall, we have a happy relationship. However, lately, the stress of work and wedding planning have begun to get the better of us, and we've been bickering. Nothing relationship-ending, but bickering nonetheless. Last Friday night... We got into a pretty heated argument regarding the budget for the wedding, and money in general. Still, a little heated. He had to leave for his overnight security shift at the hospital. He gave me a kiss and suggested I take a bath before bed, and told me we would look at the budget together tomorrow night, as he was off of work all weekend. Saturday, I had to work a double shift at a local bar. I picked up this job to help pay for the wedding. It's just a few nights a week, but, well, every penny helps. Mark hadn't yet returned home when I left for work at 11am, which was unlike him, but I figured he was just taking some time to cool down, and we'll be back shortly. I left him a note on the counter saying that I loved him, and that I would be back later tonight. Work was fairly uneventful, until I went out for a smoke break around 5pm. I had several missed calls from Mark, and one voicemail that was just a bunch of garbled noises. I tried calling him back, but it went straight to voicemail. A moment later, I received a text from him. It read, Something has come up. I'll explain later. I love you. I returned home at around 10pm. Mark's car wasn't there. Inside, the house was slightly torn up. It was apparent that someone had been there, and had been looking for something, but it didn't look like we'd been robbed. In the kitchen, I love you too, was scribbled on the bottom of my note in Mark's handwriting. In the bedroom, his gym bag and some clothes were gone. Obviously, he'd gone somewhere for the night. I tried not to be too upset, so I just had a glass of wine, picked up the mess he'd left, and went to bed. Mark didn't return all day Sunday. Every time I tried to call, it went straight to voicemail. I received a text, finally, around 9pm, saying that a shift had become available at the hospital, and that he was taking it. Sunday shifts come with a nice pay bump, and he knew we needed the money, 
Again, he told me he loved me and that he would see me tomorrow. Monday, I'd taken the day off from my regular job at the dog boarding facility in town. Mark and I were supposed to go for a cake tasting in the afternoon, before I had to bartend at night, so I took the morning to sleep in. Around 9.30am, I jolted awake when the bed shifted under the weight of a human body. Mark was quietly climbing into bed next to me. Hey, I croaked out groggily. Where have you been? He slipped an arm around me and kissed me on the forehead. Bringing home the bacon was his only response. I started the coffee brewing. What would you like for breakfast? After he left the room to start cooking, I woke up enough to process the situation. Mark doesn't cook. I mean, ever. It's not that he can't cook. He just tends to burn everything he doesn't oversalt. He must feel really bad about being gone all weekend. Or he fucked up bad. I wasn't sure I wanted to know which it was. The rest of the day went smoothly. The rest of the week actually went smoothly. Uneventfully. We went cake tasting. We met with the florist. Mark painted the bathroom. Everything was pleasant. Nice. Really nice, actually. Until yesterday. Thursday afternoon. I was at the boarding facility, filling water bowls for the docks, getting ready to start wrapping up my shift. I had to go straight to the bar after I was done here, and wasn't going to have time to stop home. There was a knock on the door, and in walks Mark. Immediately, the dogs all went crazy. Barking, howling, growling, pouring at their cages. All of them. Strange. Mark is great with dogs. Dogs usually love him. We retreated to the lobby to talk in quiet. I just wanted to bring you a snack, since you weren't going to make it home for dinner tonight, he said with a grin. His sleeve rolled up as he handed me the bag he'd brought, and I noticed a pretty nasty spot on his arm. It looked like a burn or a scab or something. Hey, what did you do to your arm? I asked, concerned. He jerked his arm back and quickly pulled down his sleeve, muttering some half-ass excuse about burning it on the stove before excusing himself and heading back out the front door. He didn't kiss me goodbye. Later that night, I went out for a smoke break at the bar. I tried calling Mark, but it went straight to voicemail. He texted me saying that he was on the phone with his mother and couldn't talk now. And then my phone rang. An unknown number. Here's the conversation that followed. Hello? Can I speak with Nikki? This is she. Ma'am. My name is Detective Smith. I'm calling in regards to your fiancé, Mark. Is he there with you now? No, he's not. Why? What's going on? Ma'am, when was the last time you saw Mark? Earlier today. He brought me food at work. Why? Are you sure? Of course I'm sure. What is this about? All right, ma'am. Thank you. We'll be in touch if we need anything further. 
and then he hung up. The call bothered me through the rest of my shift. Something just didn't seem right. I mean, I know the police have to be careful what they say in regards to open investigations. What investigation could they be doing involving Mark? I vowed to call that detective back and get some answers. But by the time I got out of work, it was nearly 2am and I was tired. I just went home and crawled in bed next to Mark, deciding it would be easier to deal with in the morning, with a clear head. The owner of the kennel had given me the day off work anyway. And that brings me to today, when I finally realised that something isn't right. I woke up this morning around 10am. Mark was gone. He left a note for me saying he was going to the gym and would be back later. Does that man ever sleep? I took the opportunity to call Detective Smith back. The phone just rang and rang. I gave up and called the local police department directly. They informed me, quite confused, that they didn't have a Detective Smith on the force. Then Mark's mom called me. She asked me how I was, how work was, how the wedding planning was, and how Mark was. She said she hadn't heard from him all week, and that she was getting worried. But Mark had told me he was on the phone with his mum when I called last night. I told her I'd tell him to call her, and then retreated to my bedroom. I packed a small overnight bag with just the essentials, a few changes of clothes, laptop, chargers, toiletries, and so on, and deposited it in the kitchen. Then, in a moment of what I can only describe as blind, thoughtless action, I returned to my bedroom and packed a second suitcase with some extra clothes, my important documents, or anything I thought might be important. I stashed that bag in the trunk of my car, out of sight. Then I sat in the kitchen and waited. Mark returned around noon with a smile. He asked if I had any plans for the day. This was the moment of truth. Remember, babe, I'm going with Kelly this weekend to check out that resort for my bachelorette party. Ah, uh, of course, Mark replied. <laughs> How could I forget? You'll be back Sunday. Yeah, probably late, I replied with a smile. I gave him a kiss and headed out the door. I had lied, and it had just proven my fears. Something is wrong with my fiancé. I have no plans with my sister. My bachelorette party has been planned for months. My Mark knows that. I called my sister, Kelly, in the car and told her to meet me at the hotel a few towns over. I told her that something was wrong, that I would explain everything in person. She booked the room using her husband's card so that no one could find us. We've gone over the whole story of the last week inside out, and she agrees that something doesn't sound right. This doesn't sound like Mark. Well, I'm sitting here typing this out to you kind folks, while she runs to pick up some food and supplies. Tomorrow we're going to call the police station to follow up on this Detective Smith call I received, and see if they can help me at all. And from there, well, I guess we'll see. Wish me luck. 
Saturday, March 17th, 2018. Well, I'm still alive. Kelly and I are no longer at the hotel. We decided moving locations might be best, just in case. Especially after the events of today. We're staying at a cabin in another nearby town for tonight. I left my car at her house, again, just in case. Mark doesn't know what kind of car she drives, seeing as she's just bought a new one. This morning, Mark called me to see how things were going. He said he was going in for a meeting with his boss in a few hours, and then he might be going up north to Chicago for training next week, if he gets the promotion he's being considered for, that is. I wished him luck and told him that I loved him. Then we took off for the police station. By the time we got into town, Mark would have been in his meeting. At the station, things got, well, odd. At first, they gave me the same runaround as they did when I called yesterday. They told me again that they had no Detective Smith on the force. They told me they couldn't release any information about open investigations, even if they were investigating Mark. They told me that they could, however, assure me that Mark was not under any investigation at this time. When I showed them the phone number that had called me, things took a turn. They started taking me a little more seriously. They did a system search on the number to ease my mind, and then Kelly and I were quickly ushered into an office where we were introduced to Detective Jones. Detective Jones informed us that the number that had called me belonged to a Detective Ian Smith, from a county about two hours north of here. He'd been passing through town on his way to visit family in Kentucky last Thursday. And that, well, he had never arrived at his destination. The last contact with his wife had been that he was stopping here for the night and that he would call her in the morning. Hotel staff report seeing him leaving his hotel early Friday morning, apparently for a job, and never returned. Detective Jones is investigating the disappearance. He asked me a lot of questions about the conversation I'd had with Detective Smith, or whoever had called me off of his phone. He asked if I knew Ian Smith, or if I'd ever been to his hometown. He asked me if Mark knew him, or had ever mentioned anyone by that name. Where Mark was originally from, well, things of that sort. Of course I told him no. I have no idea who this man is. Or how he got my phone number, for that matter. He gave me his card and told me to call him if anything else happened. Mark called me to say that he got the promotion, and that he would be leaving Monday morning for a week of training in Chicago. I congratulated him, and told him I'd try to come back earlier tomorrow, so I could see him before he left. He said to enjoy my time with my sister, and then hung up to begin packing and prepping for his trip. Kelly and I settled in with a large glass of wine to try and process through what was happening and decide what to do next. And then the phone rang. It was Detective Smith. The conversation went like this. Hello? Can I speak with Nikki? Who is this and how did you get this number? Ma'am, my name is Detective Smith. 
I'm calling in regards to your fiancé, Mark. Is he there with you now? What is this in regards to? Ma'am, when was the last time you saw Mark? I would like to know what this is in regards to so I can contact a lawyer before I speak with the police. Are you sure? Oh, if this is a prank, it really isn't funny. Tell Mark, Chicago is a beautiful city. Good night, ma'am. And then he hung up. It's not lost on me that this was almost the exact conversation, verbatim as the other night. He asked the same questions in the same order, no matter what response I gave. The last thing he said, though, it chilled me to the core. He knew about Mark's trip to Chicago. Does that mean he's watching him? Watching me? Stalking us? Does he have our phones tapped? And how the hell is he using Detective Smith's phone number? My fear must have been written all over my face, because Kelly was already dialing Detective Jones by the time Smith hung up on me. He said that he would be here soon to discuss the situation in detail with us. I voiced my fear of phone tapping, and he said just to sit tight, and that he would call a buddy over at the department in this town to send an officer over in the meantime. It was a small comfort, but not much. Detective Jones left shortly before I'd sat down to type this. We'll have an undercover officer stationed nearby all night, just in case this asshole really is stalking me. Detective Jones said to keep in contact with him. No detail is too small. We'll get to the bottom of this together. The usual cop speech you always see in movies and on the TV. Apparently, I am now involved in a missing persons case. And <laughs> I drag my sister into it as well. As afraid as I am right now, I know that this probably means I am a suspect. I have no idea where to go from here. My investigation options are running out. Provided nothing else happens tonight... I'll be going home tomorrow afternoon. I hope Detective Jones gets to the bottom of this soon. At least Mark will be out of town for a week. I love my fiancé, but, well, I don't trust him right now. Something just isn't right. And now I've wasted two days chasing down the phone number of a missing man who I don't know, calling me about my fiancé. What does Mark have to do with any of this? What do I have to do with any of this? Nothing makes sense. I just want my life back. Also, I want to apologize for the lack of detail regarding town names and exact locations. While I'm posting this to make sure everything is documented, I don't want anyone being able to track Mark or me down. And after everything that's come to light so far, I feel it's best to keep it that way. I don't want to interfere with Detective Jones' investigation either. Please, just bear with me here. My life has very quickly become far more complicated and frightening than I ever dreamed it could be. I just hope tomorrow brings better answers.
Sunday, March 18th, 2018. Well, Reddit, today did not in fact bring answers. It brought the exact opposite. A whole lot more questions. Kelly and I had a fairly restless night last night. We were informed that there would be an officer stationed nearby to keep watch, but we never actually met him. We never actually saw him. I wanted to trust that he was there, and that he would keep us safe. It's very difficult to ever feel safe when you know someone is out there keeping tabs on you and your loved ones. This morning we reverted back to base-level girl sleuthing. Yep, the internet. We did a search for Detective Ian Smith. Ian Smith disappearance. Detective Ian Smith missing Illinois. And came up with a big, fat nothing. There was one article from his hometown proclaiming him missing, praising his police work and asking anyone with information to come forward and contact the police. There wasn't even a photograph. No social media accounts that we could find. It's like this man is a ghost. I got home at five o'clock this afternoon. Mark was very happy, both to see me before he left and for the opportunity he is pursuing. The apartment had been cleaned. Grocery shopping for the week had been done. Carryout was on the way. <laughs> it was nice. I took a quick shower before the food got there. When I got out, Mark had set the living room coffee table with candles and wine. Had my favourite show queued up to watch. It was like he was himself again. My Mark. By the end of the meal, I started to think maybe I was overreacting to this whole situation. Maybe Mark wasn't being all that weird after all. We're both really stressed right now. Stress can do weird things to a person. I began thinking that, maybe, it was time I filled him in on what had been happening. About the phone calls, and the missing man who owns the phone number. I decided I would tell him as soon as he got out of the bathroom, as he'd gone to shower himself. I went into the bedroom to get ready for bed. I got the bright idea to sneak a pair of my panties into Mark's luggage, <laughs> as a little surprise to make him smile when he got to the hotel. I know, who does that? Well, I do, folks. I'm that weird girlfriend. But, regardless, I wound up not doing it after all. Because when I opened the little inside pouch in his suitcase to hide them, I found something. A dagger. It was about as long as my forearm, thin, sharp, with a really ornate handle. I've never seen anything like it before in my life. There was something engraved on the blade, but it was in another language that I didn't recognize. It was beautiful, but terrifying. For one, there's the fact that I've been with this man for five years, and I've never seen anything like this in his possession before. It looked like something out of a movie, and I wondered briefly if it was in fact a movie prop. But why would he be taking it with him to Chicago? And more to the point, the second thing, the thing that really terrified me, was the feeling it gave me. As soon as I touched it, I felt this horrible sense of foreboding. It was like this darkness like something watching me right over my shoulder. I quickly put it back where I found it, 
and went back out to the living room to wait. I decided not to fill Mark in after all. A little while later, while we were back to watching TV, I missed a call from Detective Jones. I excused myself to go outside and smoke. While I was outside, I called him back. He told me that Detective Smith's cell phone wallet and car keys had been recovered earlier this morning, along the riverbank running through town. He said the cell phone was so water-damaged, there wasn't a prayer of getting that bad boy to turn back on any time soon. I thanked him for the update and headed back inside. Huh? At least tonight I can sleep, knowing I won't be getting any more stalker calls from the mysterious Detective Smith, or whoever had his phone. So? Why am I not sleeping, you ask? Mark is sound asleep, fully packed and ready to drive north in the morning. I tried to go to bed with him, but I just couldn't. I can't seem to shake this feeling. The feeling of being watched. Like someone is right over my shoulder. And that dagger. What could he possibly need with something like that? No... Something weird is definitely going on. And now I'll have the whole week alone to try and figure it out. I just wish I knew where to go from here. Oh, good night, Reddit. Sweet dreams. Tuesday, March 20th, 2018. I apologize for the delay in updating, guys. But I assure you I'm not dead. Not yet, at least. A lot has happened in the past few days. I can't tell if we're getting closer to answers or further away. But I know we are heading somewhere. Mark left Brighton early yesterday morning, with the promise of calling me as soon as he got there. By all accounts, I had a pretty uneventful day for the most part. I went to work at the kennel, I went home for a fast shower. I went to the bar for my night shift. And then things got a little weird. Early on in my shift, a creepy-looking man strolled into the bar. I'm always on high alert with customers, especially after some of the horror stories I've read about crazy customers attacking their servers in a fit of rage. We were pretty busy with the dinner rush, though, so I lost track of him after the hostess escorted him into the main dining room. This was probably around 5.30 or so. Around 9, I see the same man come back into the bar, this time sitting up at one of the high top bar tables way back in the corner, all alone. At this point, I again lose track of him, as I'm working on liquor restocking, which required me to go down to the basement liquor storage multiple times. When I'd finally finished with all that, I glance back at his table to see that he's gone. But an empty glass and some money sits on the table. So, at least I know I didn't imagine him being there. Finally, around 11, I go outside to smoke while I wait for the manager to be ready to count my drawer and send me home. I see a lighter spark out of the corner of my eye and turn to find that this same creepy man is lighting a cigar and leaning against a very nice, yet old, car parked in the part of the lot that the lights don't reach. It looked like a 50s Cadillac of some sort. I finished my cigarette quickly and hurried back inside. 
I made one of the busboys walk me out to my car when I left, just to be safe. But the man had gone. I realised when I got home around midnight that I still hadn't heard from Ma. I tried calling him, and it went straight to voicemail. After making sure the volume was all the way up, in case he called, I went to bed. It was a very restless night. Every time I started to doze off, I would be awoken by strange noises all around the apartment. Tapping at the windows, like pebbles being tossed. What sounded like footsteps, but above me, which would mean someone was on the roof in the middle of the night. An eerie, gentle knocking at the front door. Of course, no one was there when I looked through the peephole. Around the apartment, but never in the apartment. Today I was off work in the morning, so I slept in as much as I could. When I finally dragged myself out of bed around noon, I still hadn't heard from Mark. I tried calling again, but, again, it went straight to voicemail. I went down to check the mail, and I noticed the same car from last night parked a little down the block. I wasn't sure as I walked to the mailboxes, but after a good, long look at the car, the driver's door opened and the man from the bar gracefully stepped out. Did this creep really follow me home last night? Had he been the one making all the noise around my apartment all night? Was this the mysterious Detective Smith? I rushed back inside and locked the door. I called Detective Jones, hysterical, and choked out the story about this man between shaking sobs. He told me he would be over as soon as possible, and to lock all the doors and windows in the meantime, stay away from the windows so I couldn't be seen, and that he would call me when he arrived so I knew it was safe. When he got there, he informed me there was an officer searching the area for the car I'd described. He asked me a lot about the man. I described him as best I could, but, truth be told, I hadn't got a good look at him. All I knew was that he was driving a black Cadillac DeVille Coupe. I'm no car expert, but Mark is, and I got a much better look at the car in the daylight. And that's a classic. Also one of Mark's favourites. His dream car. The officer returned to report that no such car would be found in the immediately surrounding area, but they would be keeping an eye out for it. Jones thanked the officer and sent him on his way, but Jones himself did not leave. He asked me, very sincerely, if we could talk for a few minutes, off the police record. I said, of course. He told me that, beyond the phone and wallet being found, there have been no new leads turned up on Smith's disappearance. He said that it appears they'd simply been thrown off the side of the road into the water and carried downstream, and that he's not as optimistic as some about finding a body washed up somewhere further downstream. Then he asked me the weirdest question. What do you think is going on, Nicky? I told him the truth, that I had absolutely no idea. I'd never heard of an Ian Smith a week ago, and now suddenly I'm involved in his disappearance. Or at least, I was until his cell phone was recovered. I told him that it was all very confusing and overwhelming. Then he asked me an even harder question. 
Why do you think all this has to do with Mark? I almost answered with the same, I don't know, that I've been using for every question this man asked me. But then I thought a little bit harder. I told him that, if I had to hazard a guess, I'd have to say that Mark and Ian Smith probably knew each other, or at least had known each other at one point. I told him that, if they had known each other, Mark had never mentioned it. But if Mark had never mentioned him, they must not have been friends, or at least not close. But that still didn't explain why he was calling me. Detective Jones smiled a strange, sad-looking smile, and told me to be careful and to call him if anything else happened. Mark's mom called me while I was getting ready for work. Surprisingly, she didn't ask about Mark, which was nice because... I don't know what I would have told her if she'd asked when I'd last heard from him. I wouldn't have wanted to tell her the truth and worry her. But I couldn't lie to this woman who has welcomed me into her family like one of her own children. No. She just asked how I was feeling. How work was going. Basic small talk. Then, right before she hung up, she said something that threw me off. She said... You know, it's funny that Mark went to Chicago for training. That's where he's originally from. I knew that Mark had been adopted as a young child, but I'd never pried for details. Still, I didn't understand why this was funny, or why she sounded kind of sad about it. So, I asked. Really? That's interesting. He never mentioned that. Why is that funny, though? She sighed and paused for a moment before saying, Sometimes situations like this leave some lasting memories. He wasn't a baby when we got him. I don't know how much he actually remembers, but Chicago was not good for him. She quickly changed the subject after that, and we hung up shortly thereafter. So strange. Well, I wish I had more to tell you, but I'm running late for work as it is. I'll let you all know if anything else happens. I just want one calm night to try and get my head on straight. Wednesday, March 21st, 2018. Well... So much for a calm night. I guess I'll pick up right where I left off yesterday. Work was a nightmare. If you ever worked in a bar or restaurant, you'll know how it is when things go from absolutely dead to swamped in a matter of minutes. Tensions run high. Everyone is sprinting around, trying to do ten things at once. So, when my manager, Anna, strolled up to the bar around 9pm, Neither she nor Detective Jones at her side were welcome sights. Anna told me that she would be clocking me out manually, that she would be finishing up all the tabs I had opened for right now, and that she would wrap my tips up for me to pick up tomorrow. But that right now, I had to leave. I asked why, fearing I'd just been fired or, worse, that I was under arrest. But Detective Jones told me he would explain everything in the car, there was something that I needed to see. The next two hours are a blur to me. 
Detective Jones explained in private that some teenagers had been messing around in the woods earlier in the evening, and that they had stumbled upon a dead body. The body was burned, almost beyond recognition. Facial features were not discernible, but the body was intact. I asked what this had to do with me, and he got really quiet. After a moment, he said that, upon police investigation, they had found several personal items in the pockets of the victim's clothing. Among them were a credit card in Mark's name, and a wallet-sized copy of our engagement photo. Detective Jones told me that they think the body might belong to Mark. I immediately started crying. He asked when the last time I'd heard from Mark was, when I told him the truth, that I hadn't been able to reach him since he'd left for Chicago on Monday morning. As we pulled up to the station, he told me that, unfortunately, he needed me to attempt to ID the body. The morgue was not nearly as morbid as I had imagined it would be. It felt rather like a doctor's office, except for the cooler drawers lining the wall. When they pulled back the sheet... I damn near vomited. The sight was horrible. I can't bear to describe it. All I will say is that I truly hope none of you ever have to see something like that. God, it will haunt me forever. However, Detective Jones was right. The body was fairly intact. Honestly, there were minimal burns below the chest, which is really disturbing to think about. But it helped. I told them with absolute certainty that, no, this man was not in fact my fiancé. They asked me how I could be sure, with all the facial damage, but, well, that was easy. I told them that Mark had a full sleeve tattoo on his left arm, which spread up onto his chest, which would have still been visible below the burn. The forearms weren't even touched by the burn, however, they also had no tattoos, this was not Mark. After that, Detective Jones took me back to his office and asked me a lot of questions about Mark. His birthday, his hometown, his family life, any siblings, work, and so on. I gave him as much information as possible. When we were done, Detective Jones took me back to my car. He told me that he would tell me home and that he was going to station an officer outside my apartment to watch for any weird activity. He seemed rather concerned that this John Doe had mine and Mark's photo on him. Honestly, the implications of that photo and the credit card had not really sunk in until that point. And no, I didn't get much sleep. I called off of work today. I'm just way too overwhelmed to try and be pleasant to strangers right now. But of course, nothing can be normal. No day can be relaxing. I don't know what to think anymore. I woke up early to call my boss at the kennel. I explained the situation, and she told me to please just rest and to call her tomorrow morning if I needed another day. I texted Anna, my manager from the bar, and told her I wouldn't be coming to pick my tips that day. She asked if everything was okay, and I told her that, well, honestly... I didn't know. She, being a friend of mine since before I started at the bar, said she would bring my tips and some lunch over for me when she finished up with her paperwork in the office. 
She said we could talk about it if I wanted. I thanked her and went back to bed. I woke up around noon, showered, and was in the kitchen making some tea when I heard a knock on the door. I assumed it was Anna, but when I answered, I found the last person I ever expected to see. The creepy man from the bar. The man who had been outside yesterday morning. How he managed to get past the officer outside is beyond me, but, well, he smiled and said, Good afternoon, Nicky. I believe we have some things to talk about. May I come in? I immediately said no, to which he smiled and replied, Very well, smart woman. Perhaps a seat out here on your patio would be better. That sounded reasonable enough. I joined him outside. I don't know why I did it. I know I should have slammed the door in his face and called the cops, but I didn't. We sat at the small table Mark and I have on the patio outside our door. He lit a cigar. This man was not nearly as disturbing in the daylight. He seemed rather normal, while well, not being normal at all. I would place him in his early thirties, tall, reasonably well-built, well-groomed, despite slightly shaggy black hair, with the brightest blue eyes I've ever seen. He wore a nice suit, but looked as comfortable in it as most men would be in sweatpants. He had an air of confidence and wisdom. By all accounts, an attractive, well-mannered, well-educated man. Yet he still made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Once I was seated, he waited for me to say something. When I didn't, he dove right in. Your fiancé is not dead, Nicky he said. I never thought he was, I responded. What an odd thing for him to say. But you have to admit that you wondered when Detective Jones showed you the body. Part of you was afraid you were wrong. How did he know that? Before I could ask, he continued. Mark is alive and well, and in Chicago. Worry not. I should know. I sent him there myself. Are you his boss? I asked, confused. The man laughed. <laughs> no, not exactly. Although I have worked with him in the past. You see, I met Mark a few weeks ago. Friday the 9th, if I remember right. You had been fighting. I remember the night Mark left for his shift and didn't come back until Monday morning. He was worried. He said you two were strapped for cash, with the big nuptials just around the corner. I offered to help. So he was working with you all that weekend? Is that why he didn't come home? I simply helped him earn a few extra bucks. He did what he had to do. I know nothing else of where he went or what he did, the man replied, dropping his sly smirk for the first time since his arrival. That is none of my concern. I'm simply here to give you a friendly piece of advice. And what's that? I asked. The grin came back. Decide what you want and stop asking questions. Remember what curiosity did to that poor cat, after all. He set a business card on the table and rose. Call me if you need anything. 
I'm sure we could reach a mutually beneficial agreement. The card was thick and heavy, matte black with glossy script delicately placed on its surface. Samael Sulabait, 6663397. When I looked back up, he was gone. I know I should have just thrown the card away, or better yet, given it to Detective Jones. But I didn't. I slipped it into my wallet. Maybe this mysterious Samael has some answers after all. I started cleaning the apartment after that. Maybe Mark left behind some clue in his haste to pack everything up. Maybe I can find some record of him knowing an Ian Smith. Anything to start making things make sense. Some other weird artifact like the dagger. A love letter from another woman. Something. But I came up empty. I gave up after a while and just took a nap. Laid in bed and watched TV. All around just sulked and felt sorry for myself. Anna eventually did come over and wound up staying most of the evening. Kelly joined us for a late lunch. I didn't fill Anna in on everything. No need to drag her into this madness. I just told her that I hadn't heard from Mark since he left on Monday, and that the police wanted to talk to me about an ongoing problem I had some knowledge about. When she left, I felt my sister in on the body. I didn't mention the visit from Samael. Eventually, Kelly also left, and I cooked a late dinner. Then I returned to searching the apartment for any possible clue as to what the hell was going on. I think I made a bigger mess than was here this morning, but I don't care anymore. I want answers. I want to know what's going on, and how it involves me and Mark. I want to know. Then, the phone rang. My heart nearly stopped when I saw the number. Hello? Can I speak with Nikki? This is impossible. Ma'am, my name is Detective Smith. I'm calling in regards to your fiancé, Mark. Is he there with you now? No. Detective Smith's phone was found in the river on Sunday. Who is this? Ma'am, when was the last time you saw Mark? This isn't real. Are you sure? By the time I hung up, I was in tears. I still can't believe this is all happening. There is no way in hell that number should be able to call me. There is no way Detective Smith, whoever he is, is looking for me that hard. And even if he was... There's no way you could call me three separate times and have the exact same responses, no matter what I say. Except this time. This time the, are you sure, sounded an awful lot like a challenge. Detective Jones is on his way here. I don't really want to be here at all right now, but I most definitely don't want to be anywhere alone. I hope he arrives with answers. Or at least, advice on what I should do. But, what can I do? I think I hear him pulling up outside now. Well, until next time. Oh, and P.S. I still haven't heard from Mark.
Friday, March 23rd, 2018. To everyone who's still following my story, thank you. I don't know where I would be without the support. I know I've not been replying to most comments, and I'm sorry about that, but I am reading them all, and I'm taking the things you're saying into consideration. However, I'm not going to light Mark on fire. I'm not going to kill him, or anyone else. Uh, thank you for your participation. Also, no, I do not in fact have a death wish, nor am I stupid. I'm trying to live my life as normally as possible, so as not to alert Mark, or anyone else involved, that I feel something is off. That being said, buckle up. The last two days have been a doozy. Life is never going to be the same, of that I'm sure. So, to pick up where I left off, Wednesday continued fairly uneventfully. Detective Jones came over to talk to me about the most recent phone call I'd received from Ian Smith's phone number. I could tell from the look in his eyes that he's getting sick of this case. Nothing makes sense, and no one even really knows where to go from here. This man is just gone, but his phone isn't. His phone was found, destroyed which means someone is using his number from a different phone. Ah, back to square one. When he left, I laid in bed awake for a long time. God, I just want my life back. Yesterday I went to work in the morning. My boss at the kennel seemed a little surprised to see me. She gave me a pretty light day, training a new girl that we're hiring to help out over the summer. Let me tell you, it isn't very hard to show someone how to fill water bowls and organize food when every dog literally comes with their own supplies. But I still appreciated the easy day. And it will be nice having an extra set of hands around to help. I closed with Anna at the bar. No weird phone calls. No creepy customers. No detective showing up mid-shift with earth-shattering news. <laughs> it almost felt like a normal day. Almost. Except for the Cadillac de Ville coupe, parked in the back of the lot when we left at the end of the night. I got home around 1am to find Detective Jones waiting by my door. He looked incredibly grim and serious. I asked him if everything was okay, and he simply asked to come inside and speak with me. I jokingly asked if I was under arrest, and he said no, but there were some important things that needed to be discussed. Inside, he proceeded to ask me all about my whereabouts and activities between Thursday, March 8th, and Sunday, March 11th, the weekend that Mark didn't come home. I told him that Thursday I'd worked my day shift at the kennel, followed by a night shift at the bar. Friday, I worked a mid-shift at the bar, got off around 7, came home and wound up fighting with Mark until he left for his shift at the hospital. Saturday, I worked my double. Came home to find Mark gone and the house a wreck. Sunday I had the day off, but I went grocery shopping. Yes, let me refer you back to the first episode of this saga. He asked if I had any proof of any of this. So I got out my little accordion organizer from my purse. I keep all my pay stops, punch in and punch out slips from work, receipts from stores and gas stations. Well, I'm really organized with that type of thing. I like to see where my money is going so I can track any unnecessary spending. 
That seemed to be good enough for Detective Jones. But he did ask to take the file and make a copy, just for the investigation record. Next, he asked me a harder question. Where had Mark been that weekend? I told him that he'd work Thursday, Friday and Sunday, but that he had not come home while I'd been there between Friday and Monday, and that he never really told me much about what had been going on. He asked when I'd last heard from Mark, and if I thought he'd be willing to speak with the police. I told him that I'd not heard from him since Monday morning when he left, but asked if he wanted his cell phone number. After a little thought, he told me no, but to call him as soon as I heard from Mark, and again as soon as he got home. He rose to leave, but before he got to the door, curiosity got the better of me. I asked him, why the sudden change? Why do I suddenly need an alibi? I've had a hunch I was a suspect, but he never really treated me like one until now. What the hell is going on? He sighed and looked me in the eye. I'll never forget the words he said next. Off the record, we did an autopsy on the burn victim found in the woods. He's been identified as Detective Ian Smith. We are investigating, but between you and me, be careful. This looks like a very personal crime to me, and he did have your picture in his wallet. Call me if anything, and I mean anything happens. Well, I didn't sleep much last night, despite the undercover officer I saw parked out front when I went out to have a midnight cigarette. Today, today I did the last thing any of you would probably want me to do. Today, I pulled out that black business card from my purse, and I called Samuel. I'm desperate. I'm lost. I'm confused. I'm at my wit's end. If he knows anything about where Mark was that weekend, well, it would be a start at least. We met at a coffee shop in the next town over, just to be safe. When I arrived, he looked every bit the calm, cool and collected man he was the last time we spoke. Suit and all. He smiled and asked what he could do for me today. Part of me wanted to cry, wanted to have a meltdown and sob out every last detail of the nightmare I'd been living the past two weeks, but I didn't. Instead, I looked at him and very calmly stated that I needed to know everything he knew about where Mark had been the weekend of the ninth. He laughed. <laughs> I'm sorry, my dear, but I'm afraid I can't tell you that. You see, my associates and those we work with, such as Mark tend to prefer a certain level of privacy. If I could tell you, I would, but, you see, I'm under contract. What can you tell me, then? I asked, trying to keep the tremble out of my voice. Samuel thought for a second before responding. Non potest esse nisi unus, he answered with a grin. At least, I think that's what he said. I have no idea what language it is or what it means, but I'll be damned if his voice didn't cut directly to my core and chill me to the bone. It was like his words were engraved in my mind. I can still hear the way he spoke them as I sit here and type this. I asked him what it meant. 
Oh, the universe doesn't like to share, Nikki. Sometimes you have to make your own luck. Nothing is coincidental, not in this life. I don't understand. He leaned forward and spoke in a hushed tone, with a gleam in his eye. Remember what I told you last time we spoke. Decide what you want and stop asking questions. So, what do you want? I want my life back, I answered, confused. I want to marry the man that loves me and cares for me and doesn't vanish without a trace. I want this all to stop. Ah, is that so? He asked, still grinning. I nodded, tearing up for the first time, unable to stay strong any longer. He rose and stretched a hand to help me stand too. Very well. As always, it has been a pleasure. He kissed my hand before releasing it. You know how to reach me if you need anything else. And with that, he left the shop, leaving me standing there confused. Regardless, I returned home and got ready for work. I dragged myself to the bar around 4pm and poured drinks like nothing was going on. Truthfully, I began to relax a little bit. The repetition that comes with my job and the constant customer interaction helped me to loosen up a bit. Even so, the feeling of unease that has been following me around for two weeks now still gnawed at the back of my mind. I finally got a smoke break around 8.30pm, and as soon as I stepped outside, my phone rang. It was Smith. I thought about not answering, but then I got an idea. This man has been dead since before I started getting these calls. So, let's see what this person has to say. Hello? Can I please speak with Nikki? This is she. Ma'am, my name is Detective Smith. I'm calling in regards to your fiancé, Mark. Is he there with you now? No. He's in Chicago for work. I've also not seen or heard from him since he left. I do, however, know that Detective Smith is dead. Ma'am, you are not wrong. So, let me ask you a question. All right, go ahead. What do you want? You keep calling me. What do you want? If you had one statement to make, to convey whatever it is you want me to know, what would it be? Mark isn't himself. He is a very dangerous man. I would recommend you be very careful, ma'am. I wouldn't want to see you end up hurt or worse. I'll keep that in mind. Thank you very much for your call. All right, ma'am. Thank you. We'll be in touch if we need anything further. I've finished my shift normally. No more phone calls. No more surprise appearances. No more anything. I asked Anna to cut me early. Told her I wasn't feeling well. When I got home, my phone pinged with a message from Mark. It simply read... Be home Sunday around noon. After not hearing from him all week, this is all he has to say? No explanations, no nothing. Okay, 
I didn't reply. Instead, I called Jones. I told him that I'd gotten a text from Mark. Told him when he would be home. He told me to make sure I was not in the house Sunday when Mark got home. Oh, don't worry, I won't be. Tomorrow, after my shift at the bar, I'm taking off. I'm running. I won't be here when Mark gets home, and he won't know where I am. At least, for now. Until I figure out how to tell what's real and what's not. This is how it has to be. As always, Reddit, I'll keep you posted if anything happens, but right now I have some bags to pack. So, until next time, whenever that may be. Wednesday, March 28th, 2018. Well, well, well. Hello, Reddit. Man, this is a strange turn of events. I suppose some introductions are in order. My name is Mark. It's taken me a long time to get here, but here we are. I was a little surprised to find my darling fiancé's little blog, but, but damn, I have enjoyed browsing through it, as well as all your comments. But that being said, I think it's time you all hear the full story from me. It all started Friday, March 9th, just like Nikki told you all. She came home, and we started looking at the budget for the wedding. We began arguing about how much we were willing to spend on certain things. I left for work, promising we would talk about it tomorrow. Now, that night at work... We had a lot of new patients admitted to both the ER and the psych ward. Around 3am, this man came strolling in, asking to release a psych patient into his custody. He said the patient's name was Ian Smith. I asked him for some identification, and he presented me with an ID bearing the name Samael Sulabaid. The proper paperwork was completed, and Ian Smith was released into Samael's care. I was not the one to send them on their merry way, so I had not yet met Ian Smith. When I got off work, around 7am, Samael Salabade was waiting in the parking lot for me. He was leaning against his Cadillac de Ville Coupe, <laughs> my favorite car. Impressed, I shot the shit with him for a few minutes about the car before he asked if I wanted a ride. Of course, I said yes. While we were driving around, he made polite small talk. We got on the topic of Nikki and the wedding, money and whatnot. I confessed that we were a little strapped for cash, and we'd both been working non-stop to try and fund the big day. No one really warns you how expensive weddings are, and no one was helping us pay for any of it. Not that we wanted help, we were just not prepared for how pricey things like flowers and a bar actually can be. Regardless, he piped up and told me he could help, if I was interested. Well, he had my attention. He explained to me that he and his associates work in a shadow of secrecy, but that they were there to assist those in need. 
as long as a mutually beneficial agreement could be reached. They accepted no monetary payment for their services, but everything has a price. You see, Samael Sulabed is one of many human forms that the devil himself takes. I myself was not a man who believes in God or the devil, but I gave his proposal a listen. He explained to me that there are ways to increase your luck, wealth, well, anything really. That sometimes, in some cases, luck and wealth were shared. And if the secondary party were to be eliminated, all the luck and all the wealth would fall to the one remaining. I didn't fully understand, but I must say I was intrigued. Not just for the money, for curiosity's sake as well. I asked him what I had to do. He pulled back into the parking lot right next to my car, gave me an address to meet him at sundown. We shook hands and parted ways. When he pulled away, I realized that it was nearly four o'clock. We'd been gone the whole day, but it felt like a matter of minutes. At home, I quickly packed an overnight bag, unsure how long I would be gone. I must have accidentally pocket-dialed Nikki, but when she tried to call me back, <laughs> well, I had no idea what to tell her. So, I simply texted her that something had come up that I would explain later assuming that I would have an actual explanation later on. Before I left to meet Sam, I saw Nikki's note on the counter and wrote that I loved her too. When I met up with Sam, he ushered me into his car once again and began driving in silence. I can't say that I was scared or concerned, really. Quite frankly, I didn't much care what we were going to do. I was committed now. If what he said was true, for the first time in my adult, independent life, I wouldn't be scraping by, pinching pennies, worrying about the next paycheck. To be honest, I would have done anything in that moment. He parked the car along the side of the road and told me we would have to walk the rest of the way. When we arrived at a small clearing in the woods, we were met by two other men. One dressed much like Sam, in a nice suit with a disconcertingly sly grin, and one unconscious on the ground. There were five small fires set up in a circle, and on the ground connecting the circle and the points was what looked like sand or salt or something. I realized it was a giant pentagram. For the first time, I started to believe that this man may actually be the devil himself. He explained to me that the unconscious man held half my luck and half my wealth, and that if I wanted it back, he would have to be eliminated. I said I understood, and he handed me an ornate dagger with writing on the blade. Pakiskor, signatus est enim. As soon as I took the dagger, something washed over me, this incredible feeling of strength and power. I walked to the man on the ground and was taken aback when I realized he looked almost 
exactly like me. I looked to Samael for an explanation. He smiled and said, Non potest esse nisi unus. There can be only one. And I knew he was right. I murdered my doppelganger that night, Ian Smith, the twin I never knew I had. I murdered him and stole every last bit of luck and wealth we'd been sharing all these years. When the deed was done, Samael handed me a can of gasoline and a book of matches, told me to erase him. I burned his body. I erased him. We were no longer identical. We no longer had to share. Non potest esse nisi unus. I blacked out. When I woke up the next day, I was in some motel room somewhere. I had a nasty burn on my arm from where the fire snuck up on me the night before. I felt incredible, though. Better than I've ever felt before. I got up and went for a run, and when I returned, some mail was waiting for me. He explained to me that no one was ever to know what happened in the woods. I was to forget that man ever existed. I didn't even know his name at that point. I got a call shortly thereafter, asking if I wanted to pick up a shift to the hospital. Sunday pay, plus they offered to throw in a few extra bucks an hour for asking me so last minute. Well, my luck was turning around already. Now, as my darling fiancé has explained to you kind folks, I returned home every bit the loving and attentive man. <laughs> Everything was going great. Truth be told, after reading Nikki's little diary here, it all makes sense now. I had no idea that she was getting these phone calls, but that definitely explains why it all went to shit one day. To clarify, I truthfully was in Chicago training for work last week. Like I said, my luck has turned around. The pay increase will be incredible. I was adopted out of Chicago as a young child, but I have no memories of my time there. I suppose Ian Smith also would have been adopted out of Chicago, but I don't recall having a twin. My childhood is still a mystery, I suppose. But I've begun to wonder how much of that is repression, and how much of it is the new and improved mark. I should also explain, for any of you out there thinking, oh, this sounds easy enough, make a deal with the devil and get my perfect life. Make no mistake, magic, even black magic, even black magic from the source himself, it's like physics. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. You can receive without giving something back. Like Samael said, a mutually beneficial arrangement. A deal. A contract. As for me, well, I paid with my soul. I am no longer the same Mark I used to be. I'm much, much better. <laughs> so, I suppose at this point you're all probably wondering where Nikki is. Worry not. 
She's been taken care of. I returned from Chicago to find her missing, as well as her suitcases and a lot of her belongings. It took a few days, but I tracked her down. Bank statements don't lie. It wasn't hard to figure out where she was staying. She was holed up in a motel halfway from here to Indiana. When I arrived at her room, she freaked out, screaming and throwing things at me, backing herself into a corner. (laughs) She was like a caged animal. I knew she knew something was going on. Someone in the room next door called the police. When they arrived, I talked them into transporting her home for mental evaluation. (laughs) I told them, as the concerned husband-to-be, that I thought the stress had just gotten to her and that she had a mental breakdown. That's where she is now, being mentally evaluated to see if she's a danger to herself or others. No one will believe her story, even if she tells them anything. She's just a hysterical, overworked bride-to-be that needs a break. Well, that's what I'm counting on. Should at least buy me a few days to figure out what to do about her. Maybe I should call off the wedding, pick up and start over. Maybe I should run with this calm, convince her she really did just have a mental breakdown. Or maybe she needs to be eliminated. Maybe she's already caused enough trouble. Hmm. Decisions, decisions. Now, to clarify, I didn't hack into her account. When she was taken for psych evaluation, I brought her electronics and things home. I know my fiancé's laptop password. This account was already logged in, with Reddit bookmarked. As for Jones... He came by the house. I told him I'd been working all weekend when Smith disappeared, and that I had avoided Nicky because we'd been fighting. He can't prove I was anywhere else, and, until he does, I don't anticipate seeing him again. If he wants to search anything, he's gonna need a warrant, and he doesn't have enough reason for a judge to approve one. Well, this story is most certainly not over. I'll let you all know what I decide to do with Nikki real soon. (laughs) Worry not. Monday, April 2nd, 2018 Hello, Reddit. It's me again, Nikki. Actually... Me. No, not demon possess my body, Nikki. Not Mark pretending to be Nikki. Really, it's me. And everything is fine, I think. I think it might actually all be over. Okay, let me explain. First of all, I want to apologize for the fact that my post last Friday got deleted. There were some formatting errors on my part that I didn't realize I'd made. I've simply been too busy with the things that have been going on, and I didn't notice it had been removed. As such, I've simply decided to to start over, to explain what happened between Mark's post and my attempted post, and what has happened since then. 
Enough has been going on that I was planning on updating you all anyway, but let's just squeeze it all into one big update. I'm sure you're all getting tired of hearing it anyway. After work last Saturday, I ran, just like I said. I packed up, grabbing everything I could. I contacted my bosses and told them there was an emergency and I would be MIA for a few days. I drove until I found the smallest hole-in-the-wall motel I'd never heard of. I paid cash for the room. I thought, well, he couldn't find me that way. Unfortunately, I fucked up. I had to pull cash out of a nearby ATM. I used my debit card to get gas. I wasn't thinking. Those are the transactions he saw when he checked my bank statement. He found me on Tuesday. And when he did, I freaked out. He wasn't Mark. Not even slightly. He walked different. He spoke different. It was like... A completely different man wearing Mark's skin. He tried to be gentle and sweet, feigning concern to convince me to come home with him. When I didn't go with him quietly, he got evil, twisted. He smiled this evil grin and calmly, quietly told me what he had done. Yes, he told me everything. He told me that he murdered Ian Smith with a dagger and then burned his body. He told me he was a new man since the ritual, that everything was so much better, that he was so much better. He told me not to ruin his new perfect life. He was confessing everything, so I took the opportunity to pry. I needed to know what happened. I asked about the credit card and the photo. He told me they were a link between him and Smith. The credit card was to transfer the wealth, and the photo was to show that they were doubles. I don't even think he realized he'd left them in Smith's pocket when he left. He didn't know that he'd left evidence. Well, now that he's read everything, well, yes, now he knows. The demon that's taken over is just too proud, too confident to see the errors that he's made leaving behind evidence and then going and announcing it on my Reddit. The demon inside is just too cocky. Well, that's my theory at least, that a demon has taken over Mark's body. It's the only thing that makes sense. It's easier to stomach than the idea that Mark was always inherently evil. Above all, he told me that, even if I told anyone, no one would believe me. So I should stop being so difficult. I tried to keep him away from me. I had no idea what he would do if he got close. I didn't want to find out. Evidently, one of the other motel patrons got concerned and called the authorities. Because the police showed up saying they'd received a report of a domestic disturbance. They spoke to us separately, trying to get a grip on what was happening. I told them that he was my fiancé that I was afraid he was going to hurt me. I didn't know what to say to them, but somehow I ended up being sent to a mental health facility. I spent the next two days being evaluated by every professional under the sun. And the whole time, Mark's words rang in my head. No one will believe you. No one will believe you. No one 
will believe you. So, I lied. Well, half lied. I told them that we'd been fighting. I told them that his demeanor had changed. That he'd become angrier, more hostile, darker. I told them that I'd grown afraid for my safety. And that's why I ran away. I told them I'd only acted out to keep him away from me in the motel room because I thought he would hurt me if he got his hands on me. Yes, I left out the detail with the devil. The satanic ritual. Jeez, I'm not crazy. But the whole truth would have made me sound like I was. Eventually, Thursday evening, I was deemed mentally sound enough to return to my life, if I chose. I checked myself out and immediately changed my emergency contact from Mark to Kelly. I didn't need him knowing that I was out. I didn't have a car, a phone, anything. So, I used the office's phone to call. First Kelly, and then the police department and asked for Jones. I told him where I was and asked him to come pick me up, that I would explain everything in person. Kelly was stuck at work and couldn't get out to come get me. Thankfully, he obliged. We went to the police station and settled into his office. I broke down crying and told him that I think Mark had killed Ian Smith. I told him that he'd confessed it to me, but he told me that no one would believe me because it was part of a satanic ritual. That sort of thing just doesn't happen around here. Upon the mention of a confession, Jones got serious. He asked me more specific questions about the crime. He asked about the murder weapon, the dagger with the burning being performed post-mortem, when the crime had occurred, things like that. Details that were determined from the autopsy, but had not been made public knowledge. Details that only the police and the people involved should have known. When I answered his questions to his satisfaction, he got really quiet. I know that this was a tricky spot. What was he to do in this situation? By all logic, I should be arrested on the spot for my intimate knowledge of the crime. That should have made me suspect number one. But I'd already provided proof of my alibi. Still, who's to say I didn't have a hand in the crime? And now was trying to pin it all on Mark. We decided to break and step outside for a cigarette. While outside... I remember that I had left his account logged in on my computer. My computer, which Mark now had. I was worried what he would do if he found the posts here. But then I wondered if he'd taken them down or altered them somehow to hide his guilt. I asked Jones if I could get on the internet somehow to test a hunch. Curiosity had gotten the better of me. Imagine my surprise when I found Mark's post. The timestamp proved that I was under psych lockdown at the time of posting, so there's no way it could have been me. That being said, it also didn't prove that it was in fact Mark. Once we were sure Mark would be at work, I asked Jones to drive me home. Once there, I promptly tore the apartment apart. In my mind, if we could find that dagger... It might just be enough. It would be evidence. Before anyone says anything about the legality of this, 
No, we didn't have a warrant. But this is my home. My name is on the lease. I'm allowed to search my own home whenever I want, and I'm allowed to have whomever I want there while I do so. And, well, I'm glad that I did. I found the dagger in Mark's gym bag, along with a brand new canister of lighter fluid, a book of matches, duct tape, candles, and a business card almost identical to Samael's, but with no contact information printed on it. No name, no phone number, just a plain matte black business card. It was like the name and number had just been erased. I wouldn't even have known what it was if I didn't have an identical one in my purse. Evidently, Mark had made the decision to eliminate me. And from the looks of it, he was trying to turn it into another ritual. What for, I don't know. But there it all was, right there on the floor of my bedroom closet. Mark was arrested that night, around midnight, while he was at work. He's being held, awaiting trial for the murder of Detective Ian Smith. Jones has told me that he thinks I should pursue charges for attempted murder, or conspiracy to commit murder, or something like that. I don't know. It all seems so much right now. I feel like I need to meet with a lawyer. In the meantime, no one has left me alone for even a minute, which I am incredibly thankful for. I had to go back to the police station to give an official statement about finding the murder gear, which was horrible. I'm staying at Kelly's house until I figure out what to do. My bosses at the bar and the kennel have been incredibly understanding, giving me some time off. The owner of the kennel even slipped me an Easter bonus to help. Detective Jones has been by every day, checking in and gathering information. Now, obviously, the wedding is off. I'm planning on officially moving out as soon as possible. I can't bear to stay in the home where I once had such a beautiful life and loving relationship. The home where my fiancé, the man who I was supposed to spend the rest of my life with, plotted to murder me. I just can't do it. Now, here begins the new information. Things that have happened since I tried to update. I had to call Mark's mother on Friday and fill her in. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Telling a mother that her son is in prison for the murder of his long-lost twin. That he had apparently been planning on murdering me as well. She was heartbroken, destroyed, confused. She said she would call me tomorrow once she'd calmed down and we could talk more. Saturday evening, she did call me back. She asked how I was coping, and then, with a shaky breath, said that she thought she might be able to fill in a few blanks for me. Then, Mark's mother proceeded to give me the story of his pre-adoption childhood, according to his birth mother. At least the pieces that she had been told when they adopted him. Mark's birth mother had been a wreck. She'd been pregnant four times before Mark and Ian losing each pregnancy for various reasons. Mark and Ian were the first children she carried to term. She was 19 years old. Rumour had it she'd been kicked out of her home at 16 due to her first pregnancy, 
her father was evidently highly abusive. After a period of living on the street, she began living with her new boyfriend, a much older man who prostituted her out for extra money. Because of this, it's unclear who exactly fathered the twins. Eventually, she turned to drugs. Somewhere around the time Mark and Ian turned one, their birth mother ran into a dispute with her drug source. She tried to get more, but she owed him money. He refused to supply her addiction until he was paid the debt, one way or another. She told him that she had the money. It was just at home with her boyfriend. That she would go get it and bring it back to him. To ensure that she returned, they took one of the babies. She had nothing else of value for them to hold on to. Evidently, she never returned. The only hard evidence of this is the court records that show that a one-year-old baby named Ian was anonymously left at the hospital with a note giving the name and address of his mother. When the authorities went to the house, she was gone, along with baby Mark, upon trying to contact any next of kin. I discovered that her mother had passed away, and her father was in prison. Eventually, Ian was adopted by the Smith family. Fast forward about a year and a half, an elderly woman called the police reporting that she had heard her neighbours fighting the night before. Not an unusual occurrence, but that she had also heard a baby crying from the apartment all day. She was concerned for the child. The police arrived to find a two-and-a-half-year-old Mark crying in his crib, and his mother beaten to death on the floor. Mark was taken into custody of the state. That is, in short terms, how Mark wound up with his adoptive family. Unfortunately, however, there is no proof that these are the exact happenings. Most of what is known came from a diary that his birth mother kept. While first-hand accounts are nice, she was also a drug addict who had been abused most of her life. There's no telling how much of what she wrote was real versus how much she got twisted in her deteriorated mental state. She told me she never told Mark any of this, as to not upset him. She asked several times if he had any memories of Chicago, and he'd always said no. So rather than risk some long-repressed memory being triggered, she gave him the best life possible. But, well, I know this still leaves a few unanswered questions. First, how did Ian Smith end up in the mental ward of Mark's hospital in the first place? Well, I don't have the full story, but from the bits and pieces I have heard, I've gathered that he was mugged while out for his morning run the day he disappeared. The mugger stole his phone, wallet, keys, everything, and ended up throwing the evidence into the river to dispose of it. Ian stumbled his way to the hospital for help, injured, I assume, from the mugging. He had no identification, and lost consciousness in the ER. He awoke violently, swinging at hospital staff and freaking out. That's when he was transferred to psych, to make sure he wasn't a danger. And that's when Samael came to have him released from the hospital. But, like I said, I'm missing many of the details. This is just the basic gist I've pieced together from the bits I have heard here and there. Second, 
who was calling me, claiming to be Detective Smith. I wish I had an answer for you, but I just don't. Could it be someone who cloned his phone number? Yes. Could it have been someone pranking me? Sure, but neither of these options explain how they knew to call me. How they knew Mark was involved. Could it have been Demon Mark just fucking with me? Yeah, but why wouldn't he have confessed that in his poorly planned tell-all post? Could it have been someone else doing? I guess, but but assuming Mark is right and Samuel is who he says he is, do you really expect me to believe that Satan has nothing better to do with his time? And remember what he said. He couldn't tell me much. He's under contract. My best guess is that maybe it really was Ian Smith. Like a call beyond the grave. Yes, I know that sounds crazy, but come on. With everything that's happened, who am I to draw the reality line at ghost phone calls? Third, how did Mark's deal fall apart? He was supposed to have luck and wealth, and he ended up getting arrested. How does that work? I'm no expert on satanic contracts, but the way I see it, there are three possibilities. First, Mark messed up and cancelled out his deal somehow. Or did something to reverse it. Second, there never was a deal at all. Meaning that Samael wasn't actually the devil or a demon. But rather, he was just a fucking psychopath who convinced an innocent man to murder his twin brother. If you ask me, this is the least likely of the three. Samael is just too eerie. He knows too much. He creeps the hell out of me. Something about him is definitely not human. Or, third, another deal was made by someone else that trumped Mark's deal. Possibility number three scares me. When I think back to my meeting with Samael in the coffee shop, I deeply hope that the deal wasn't mine. Which brings me to the question, what if I did just make a deal with the devil? What now? I said I wanted to marry the man who loved me. I wanted my life back. I wanted all this bullshit to stop. And now I've lost my old life. Lost my fiancé. This is not what I wanted. I'm really hoping that means no deal was made. But if I did, what do I have to give? What is my payment? What more do I have to lose? I'd rather not think about that for now. Everything's okay right now. I just need to figure out what my new normal will be. Without Mark. Without my old life. I'll be okay, I hope. Everything is fine. One last thing before I go. I want to tell you all that I have, in fact, been paying attention. I've read the comments. I've gotten your messages. I've seen the YouTube videos. Oh, you can believe what you want, but I know the truth. I know the hell that I've been going through. I know because I'm living it. 
If you have any questions on that matter, please feel free to contact me directly. Put yourself in my shoes. The last thing I need to deal with right now is my sister finding a video of some girl reading my story and explaining to the world while I'm full of shit why she's just so over it. My fiancé murdered a man in cold blood. My fiancé almost murdered me. You think you're over it? <laughs> I'm over it. I'm done living in this horror movie. But you don't get to direct your life. For those of you who've followed along and supported me through all of this, I'm forever grateful to you. I couldn't have gotten this far without your encouraging words. Thank you for listening. Thank you for believing me. As for the rest of you, maybe Mark was right. Maybe people will never believe me. But that's okay. As always, Reddit, I will update you if anything else happens. But I think, I think for now, this may be goodbye. We can hope, at least. Monday, April 23rd, 2018. <laughs> Hi again, all. I'm back. I suppose I should have known I wouldn't be able to stay away for too long. I told you, life will never be the same. I wish I could say that this is a good update. I even wish I could tell you it was going to be just a bad update. I wish I could tell you how I feel about what has been going on, but as it is, well, I am numb. I'm at a loss, but more than anything, I am scared. Since I last updated, I've returned to work at both jobs. Well, I'm no longer concerned about the extra money for the wedding, but I have to say I rather like working at the bar. I love my co-workers, I love my managers. My regulars obviously have heard rumours around town, and they've all been coming back in to check on me. It's a great support system, and I'm never alone when I'm here. However, it's not enough to live on, so I'm keeping my job at the kennel too. I've cut my hours down a bit, for my own sanity mainly. I also found a place to move. It's nice, on the other side of town. Just a little apartment. I don't need much room if it's only me. Kelly and Detective Jones helped me move in about a week ago. Jones and I have become quite close, if I'm being honest. He has been a huge support throughout everything. I'm very thankful for him. He doesn't need to care this much. It's above and beyond his job description. But it's also very nice. Well, I decided to get a dog. A German Shepherd Rescue, who needs me as much as I need him. He makes me feel safe, and my boss at the kennel lets me bring him to work with me. Things really started to go well. I was coping. I was able to sleep through the night. I was getting the help I needed mentally and legally. But I started getting sick. Typical stress-sickness-type symptoms. Annoying and inconvenient, but nothing to be too concerned about. I wasn't concerned, honestly, until it started causing me to risk work. I can't exactly be taking care of people's pets or serving food if I'm throwing up. And, as understanding as my bosses have been, they've got to the point of requiring me to have a doctor's note 
otherwise I would start getting into trouble. I went to the doctor and was planning on just asking for some anti-nausea meds, some sleep aid, anxiety medication, well, something like that. Something just to take the edge off and help me relax. They said they'd be happy to prescribe me the best thing to help, as soon as they did a full once-over to make sure we weren't dealing with something more serious. They asked me the typical questions doctors ask. Any recent trauma? Any change in diet or medication? Allergies? Height? Weight? When my last menstrual cycle was? I answered, as you do at the doctor, but told them I was on birth control, and, as a side effect, hadn't had a menstrual period in over two years. It's pretty common with this birth control. They said as much, and they weren't concerned about that fact. But they needed to run some tests regardless, before they prescribed anything, to check everything out, make sure they were giving me the right thing. These symptoms can point to some more serious health issues, apparently. To cut a very long and very painful story short, the test results showed I was in perfect health. I hadn't contracted some crazy virus, and I was fine to continue working. However, I had elevated levels of certain hormones. Basically, all signs pointed to pregnancy. They recommended I set up an appointment for an ultrasound. So, I did. It was this morning. I've been effectively numb. I refused to believe this was happening. Every part of me hoped that they would tell me there was some mix-up and the doctors had been wrong. That I wasn't pregnant, that this was all just some sick joke. This couldn't be real. That's not what happened, though. The ultrasound technician rubbed that wand around my belly for a few minutes. The sounds on the monitor went silent over my own thoughts, and breathing and heartbeat. I waited for her to tell me there was nothing there. And then she spoke up and said, Congratulations, ma'am. Is this your first pregnancy? And my heart stopped. I could have thrown up. No, no, no. Robotically, I told her that yes, this was. She asked if the father was in the waiting room, or if I wanted to call him with the good news that everything looked a-okay. I told her no. The father was in prison on trial for murder. She went pale. I may have been too blunt, but I was numb. Why bother sugarcoating the situation? She recovered, kind of, and continued on normally. We finished the appointment. She gave me information about what sort of timeline I have for tests and checkups and things of that sort, but I didn't really process any of it. I couldn't. I don't want this to be real. And that brings me to now. Now, I'm sitting in the parking lot of the police station. I'm here to talk to Jones. He's the only one besides Kelly I can turn to right now. And I've already left her a voicemail to call me ASAP. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to tell him. I just don't know what to do. Because the tech told me one thing that I did process. Yeah. She said that everything looked just fine. Development looked normal. Strong heartbeat. Two of them. Both babies look fine.
Thank you so much for choosing to spend your time listening to me. Now, if you enjoyed the Dr. Creepin experience, then come find me on Facebook. Come chat with me on Twitter. Listen to the background music and download it if you like on SoundCloud. Drop by the store, pick up a t-shirt. And, importantly, if you've got a story you'd like me to read, send it to Dr. Creepin's Vault, the subreddit I set up so that I could read your stories. Now, looking forward to seeing you all again real soon. So, come check me out, okay? <laughs>